Today we have the delightful opportunity to hear from our college and young adult pastor, Aaron Ferguson. And so I want to welcome Aaron to the stage right now, and I'm going to step off here to the right. And hey, bro, maybe uh, we should do one of these. There yeah. <laughs> Social distancing. There you go. Uh, Aaron, so good to have you here this morning. Thank you for your willingness to lead our church as we teach today. Um, we have a vitally important, dangerous prayer that we're going to get into in just a moment. But I'm just curious. I know you love your ministry with C20, with the college and the young adults. Uh, what are you missing about Sunday evenings and gathered together as a group on Sunday evening? Yeah, and I, I miss worshiping together with um, the college students and young adults. I miss seeing them as they come in through the door and we eat together and we sing songs aloud together. Um, I really do miss seeing them in person. A lot of our college students are uh, moved back home right now. And so, uh, man, I long for the day that we get to join back together. Yeah. Uh, what about you? What do you miss most about Sunday mornings? I miss seeing a lot of those same college students on Sunday mornings, though, that you just noted. And I also really, yeah, my, my, I have a routine Sunday morning. And it's like, get here at 6.30. Usually my kids come with me, and they help out down in children's ministries. And I have my first cup of coffee, and then my third cup of coffee. And uh, just get ready for people to come and start praying through the morning and go through final preparation and I love to see people begin to mill about in our lobby and just to go out and greet them and to give hugs and to shake hands and to check in on weeks. And we have a group of prayer partners who prays for me every Sunday. I miss them. I miss yeah. praying with them every yeah. Sunday. And uh, I, I, just, I miss the anticipation of being together in this room well, with, with you all who are watching right now at carneyefree.com and just saying, God, what are you going to do in this place today? And imagining, well, what he might do as we wait on him in prayer and as we worship him. We still get to do that. We still get to do that through carneyfree.com, and we're grateful for this technology. But, but this is kind of hard. It's not the same. It's wearing on me. Right. I don't know about you. It's yeah. wearing on me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we got the next best thing. We got to listen to great worship uh, this morning. We got to take our offering and worship that way. And now we have an opportunity to hear a critically important message, a dangerous prayer that Aaron will be leading us in uh, this morning. Enough of me. You take it away, man. Yeah, thank you, Adrian. Well, um, I also miss drinking coffee on Sunday mornings and getting that latte with the uh, coffee bean on top and a nice little whipped cream that always gets in my beard. Um, but if you're watching right now at home here in Kearney in Buffalo County, I just want you to know that our church vision is this, every person matters. And the reason why we are producing Bible studies, the reason why we're producing online messages is because we actually believe that you matter. And we long for the day that we get to meet together in person. And so this is um, our series. Um, dangerous prayers, and we are going to be walking through the story of Jesus praying at the Mount of Olives, and he is on a mountain. And as I was working through this message, it reminded me of a time that I um, was on a mountain. You see, I love to connect with God by going to the mountain. I love to hike and just enjoy his creation. I love to ski and I have a best friend who has lived in or near a ski resort for the past 10 years. And I'm what you call a freeloader, which means um, I utilize the free resources that are available to me. And my friend David 
um, has ski equipment that he lets me borrow. He has a place for me to stay. Oftentimes he gets hook, hookups on discounted or free ski lift passes. And so, of course, I had some vacation. I called him up. I said, David, I would love to go skiing on your dollar. No, I'm just kidding. I said, David, I would love to go skiing. Do you have some free time this week um, coming up? And he said, sure. And so what I did was I... I flew into Denver. He picked me up at the airport, and we headed on out to Breckenridge, Colorado. And so for all the positives that my friend David offers, he is a wonderful guy. He's my best friend. I love the man. He is not skilled in the ability to determine the difficulty of a ski um, route. He has zero ability to determine my skill level as opposed to what the difficulty of the ski route that is before me. And so when I asked David, hey David, let's do a medium level ski run. Let's not do something super difficult. I don't want to hurt myself and let's not just do the bunny hills. You see when David hears that he's an expert skier, everything is easy to him. And so when I said, David, let's do a medium run, to him medium run is the most difficult run there in Breckenridge. And so what we did was um, we hopped on a, a ski lift as normal and there's a lot of people in this line and, and I'm like man this is going to be a good day it's going to be relaxing and as we started heading up the mountain on the ski lift we hopped off and skied a little bit to a different area and I see a ski lift with very few people that are hopping on that ski lift and that should have been the first sign that there is disaster to come and so as we hopped on that ski lift, I thought this is not going to be good. And we get off that ski lift and we ski to the first run. This is the only way to get down this particular mountain. And I, I'm thinking that it is just a straight dead drop off. Like this is a 90 degree drop, 180 degree drop straight down to the ground and I am going to lose it. And I actually have a picture. I want you to visualize with me what it looks like, what I'm seeing here as um, a person that's about to ski. And so, the, oh, there it is. You know, so sometimes pictures don't do it justice and you can't see my face. Here's the deal. My face looks calm, cool, and collected. No, that's not the truth. I am panicking, thinking I am about to die. And so I'm looking down at this ski run that's before me, and I'm thinking, I'm gonna, at best, I'm going to lose a limb. And as I was preparing this message, I, I was reading about the fact that Jesus often withdrew to the mountain to pray. And so Jesus is preparing for this great task that is before him. And so what he does is he separates and gets alone with God and is um, at the mountain and he prays. And so we're going to pick up here in Luke chapter 22, verse 39 through 46. And just to get the blood flowing, um, I want us to stand as we read this together. And also, here's what I want you to do. I want you, let's make this feel like we're at home. I want you to greet your neighbor, okay? If that means hugging your brother or hugging your sister or giving your wife a high five, possibly you were forced to wake up this morning, you're wearing your PJs, but greet your neighbor. If you are watching this at home by yourself, will you let us know that you're watching by sending us a funny emoji? Just let us know that you're here with us. 
Uh, thank you for <laughs> indulging me by greeting your neighbor. And so we're in Luke 22, 39 through 46. Jesus prays on the Mount of Olives. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Let's pray. God, as we meet together and open up your word, Father, I pray that you communicate through me in a way that our audience, although remote, is able to hear your voice. God, I pray that this message will be a hug to um, our church from you, God. And um, I thank you for this opportunity that we have to meet together. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And so this is um, our series, Dangerous Prayers. And what we're going to focus in on is Jesus' prayer there at the Mount of Olives, where he says, yet not my will, but yours be done. And so while Jesus was in Jerusalem, he would often go to the Mount of Olives in preparation for his crucifixion. This was his usual spot that he would go to in preparation for uh, what is to come. And so... um, just to help you understand, if um, Adrian shared a message, the first um, message in our Dangerous Prayer series about pausing, stopping, slowing down the hurriedness of life, and spending time with God, and, and the title of that message is, um, God, I Need You Now, and I would encourage you to give that message a watch. So Jesus is looking down at the city of Jerusalem. And what he's doing is he is envisioning the very place in which he is to die and take on the sins of the world. And he's looking down and he says, these are the people you called me to die for, the very people that are going to crucify me. And the Mount of Olives is about 2,700 feet tall. And it's also a place of Jewish burial. It's a cemetery for the past 3,000 years. And so we have a picture of the Mount of Olives so we can kind of get a perspective of um, how tall it is. And it's looking down over Jerusalem. And this is Jesus' go-to spot to spend time with God. And we pick up here in verse 40. And Jesus said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation, He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed. Here's what's interesting here. Jesus told his disciples, he said, hey, you stay here and pray. And he continued on 40, 50 feet, depending on how far you can throw a stone, further, and said, man, this has got to be me and God. I need to spend time with God myself. And one of the quick principles that we can see here is when you're faced with conflict or a challenging decision, you ultimately must be the one who goes to God on your behalf. Yes, please get people to pray for you. Please get people to pray for you. But ultimately, 
you must go to your Mount of Olives, your place, your um, um, place where you are unbothered, alone, and focused. You must be the one that goes to God in your times of need. What is your Mount of Olives? Where is the place that you will go and um, spend some time with God? And here's an important caveat during um, our social distancing. There are people right now who are socially isolated. They're self-quarantined. There are people who are struggling financially. There are people who feel all alone. There are people who are really struggling emotionally and feel disconnected from other people. Um, Here are a couple of words of encouragement. I would... I would encourage you to utilize the resources that are before you, the technological resources that can help you connect with people, although you are not in person. Here's a few of them. Zoom, Google Meet, FaceTime. I would encourage you, pull out your phone and and call people. Zoom them, uh, FaceTime them, chat with them from face to face. Do a good old-fashioned phone call and, and see how your friends are doing. Reach out to people, check in on them. Invite someone over and you stand six feet apart from each other and just catch up. Ultimately, here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you, if you, if these words of isolation, loneliness, depression, if those describe you, I'm giving you the permission to bother people. I'm giving you the permission to constantly Zoom and FaceTime people because it's important. And we at Carnegie Free really want to connect you to other people during these isolated times. And then also our life groups are meeting via Zoom and Google Meet and things like that. If you are not a part of a life group, I would encourage you to take advantage of that. Um, Let us know and we will plug you in to a wonderful um, group of people. Although they're not meeting in person, you'll be able to Zoom and and Skype them. And so now we pick up here um, and we want to, why is Jesus withdrawing? What is he preparing to do? And I want you to read um, there in verse 15. And here's what's happening here. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Here's what Jesus is doing. He's using this metaphor of a meal to describe what he is about to do. He gives them the bread. This bread represents my body that is given for you. My life purpose is to honor my father. Then he gives them the cup, which represents his blood that will be shed on the cross, that will cover the sins of the world as white as snow. Jesus withdrew ultimately to plead with God for strength and determination to endure the judgment and justice of God. Jesus was not fearful of what man can do. As we read later on, Jesus will be flogged. Jesus will be beaten. Jesus will be rejected by his disciples. That's not why Jesus was withdrawing. That's not why Jesus was in agony. God, his father, the creator of all things, the one who he has had a relationship with the beginning, will turn his face away from Jesus will reject Jesus, reject the relationship because Jesus will be taking on the sins of the world upon his shoulders. The word Jesus used to describe suffering in this scripture is this cup. So why was Jesus in agony? Jesus agonized over the cup of 
of God's justice. Jesus agonized over the suffering that will come to him that will be from the justice of God. Verse 42 says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. We get such unique insight into the humanity of Jesus. See, what oftentimes happens is we emphasize the divinity of God, uh, the divinity of Jesus. We, we emphasize the fact that he did miracles. We emphasize the fact that he was perfect, that he was Lord of all creation. He's the Alpha, he is, he's the Omega, and he has been there from the beginning. And what we uh, don't oftentimes emphasize is the humanity of Jesus. And as I'm reading this, it seems like Jesus is breaking character. Like this doesn't seem normal for Jesus to say, Father, if you're willing, if there is any other way for me to take on the sins of the world, if there's any other way for mankind to be forgiven, will you show it to me? You see, Jesus, as a flesh and blood man, is in agony over what God has called him to do. God, if there's absolutely any other way for this to happen, will you show it to me? And I believe what happens here is Jesus pauses and he listens to God. God, is there any other way? And here's his response. Yet not my will, but yours be done. This is the dangerous prayer that Jesus is praying. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is committed to God's will, even above his own desires. If that means suffering, so be it. If that means death, so be it. If that means rejection from his Father God, so be it. By relying on prayer and communion with God, Jesus faces his dark hour as a shining light. Then, in verse 43, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus knows suffering. Jesus experienced suffering of all kinds. He was 100% God, yet he was also 100% man. He was tired. He was lonely. He was hungry. And what we see here is he is overwhelmed with anguish and sweat. Um, and many scholars believe that his capillaries busted in his forehead because of such great anguish over the cup in which he's about to take fall from his forehead what will you do with this gift that Jesus offers you by taking the cup of suffering Jesus extends the cup of friendship to us to receive the cup of friendship with God requires a surrendering of wills here is how we can receive the cup of friendship from God. Do you believe that Jesus was God on earth? Do you believe that he was punished for you, died and rose from the dead three days later, conquering the curse of sin? Will you confess where you have wronged God? Will you negate your plans and your desires and follow Jesus? The cup of friendship with God is called salvation. And here's a definition of salvation. Salvation is the supernatural transformation that happens when we surrender to God. 1 Timothy 2, 4 through 6 says this. 
who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at a proper time. Here is a difficult statement that a lot of people struggle with. Only those who have salvation can be friends of God. You see, God has a standard for those that can be his friend. God has a standard for those that can enter into heaven. They must be perfect. And here's what Jesus did. Jesus, the one who was perfect, actually became a sinner, accursed on the cross. And what did we receive? We received the perfect blood of Jesus that has wiped us clean as snow. And that is what Jesus has given us on the cross. And the, the only way for us to be friends with God is to receive this gift that Jesus offers. Now, as friends of God, we must surrender to God's will and desire for us. The disciples asked Jesus this, how should we pray? Can you teach us how to pray? And Jesus said, here is how you are to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come your will be done. Jesus is telling the disciples that God's kingdom reign in heaven should reign over us on earth. As friends of God, God's kingdom reign should be over our heart, soul, and mind. You may be thinking, how do we know what God's will is? Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this, the secret Things belong to Lord, the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. God has two different kinds of will. First, he has his revealed will, and this is made known to us in the scriptures. For example, the Ten Commandments, don't covet, don't lie, don't murder. Um, these are things that God has revealed to us for us to have a proper relationship with God our Father and also with people. And then he says, go and make disciples of all nations. This is revealed to us. Also, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. These are absolutes. These are revealed to us. We don't need to search the scriptures deeply to find out about these things. God has made these plain, known plainly to us. God will never ask you to do something that is contrary to his revealed will. That is why we need to understand and read the scriptures. You must know God's revealed will as made known in the scriptures and follow it and teach it to your children. And then we second, um, secondly, we have God's unrevealed will, which is not made known to us. The secret things of God as mentioned in Deuteronomy 29. Here are some examples. Decisions we are not, uh, decisions we are to make that are not revealed to us. For example, where should I work? How many kids should I have? Where should I go to church? There's a long list of decisions that we are to make that is not explicitly written there in the scriptures. By knowing God's revealed will and character, we can be prepared to make wise decisions about his unrevealed will. And there's also reasons why God has allowed pain and suffering are also not made known to us. Why did my family member die? Why is my health failing? Why did this relationship fail? Why are there natural disasters like the coronavirus? 
By knowing God's character, we can trust him and act wisely and humbly during pain and suffering. Here's a, a few truths. It is in our nature to have our will and our desires met. It is in our nature to be comfortable and at ease. It is in our nature to be self-centered. You remember that story of me looking down at this absolutely disastrous ski run that is going to absolutely end my life. You, you wonder what happened. Um, here's what happened. I made it about five feet down that run. And um, after about five feet, I began rolling down the mountain and I did something what's called a yard sale. I lost my skis, I lost my gloves, I lost my poles, I lost my goggles, and everything was spread across, and I am rolling down the mountain. And I'm even clawing and attempting to slow down my descent to the bottom of this mountain. And here's what happens. I cannot stop the descent. I cannot stop the flying, the, the, the falling. No matter how much I claw and grab at the snow, I am continuing to fall. And eventually I'm just like, well, here's what it is. And I just roll down the mountain. And some of us feel like that is happening to us right now with all the complications that are happening with the coronavirus. It feels like there is nothing we can do to stop it. And we ask, why is God allowing this to happen and I want to talk directly to you for a moment. Many of you believe that God is um, attacking you for something that you've done. Many of us um, have heard people say that God is judging America because of this. Or God is uh, allowing coronavirus to happen because of this. And here's what I would encourage you to do. Do not listen to people who claim to know the mysteries of God. We do not know why God does the things that he does. But here's what we can do. We can trust that God loves us and has poured out um, his love to us by sending his son, Jesus. You see, there are people in our church, there are people in our nation who are very successful at what they do. There are people who are creative. There are people who are athletically gifted. There are people who are smart, intelligent. They can get it done. And when they put their mind to something, they're going to accomplish it. And um, right now, these people are finding ways in which they can avoid um, the financial impact. They're finding ways in which they can avoid getting sick. And here's the thing. There are going to be some people that no matter how hard they try, no matter how hard they fight, uh, they are going to succumb to the pressures of this coronavirus. And there is nothing that we can do to prevent this from happening. You are like me, sliding down the mountain. You're out of control. And I think this is the reality of what a lot of people are living right now. I want to talk to those that are hurting. Maybe you um, had a wedding that was planned, and because of the limitations on uh, people gathering, you're not able to, to meet. Maybe you're a student, and you're a senior in, in high school, and, and you were not able to compete in athletics. Or maybe you know of someone in, or will know of someone who will become sick or possibly pass because of this virus. Um, if it's not the coronavirus, if it's not <clears throat> financial struggles that are happening, what will it be? 
at no fault of your own you have lost. You view this cup of suffering in this present life as God's attack on you or God withholding love from you. What did I do to deserve this? Here's the truth. Even the perfect, spotless Son of God suffered. Even Jesus suffered. Conflict and suffering are a regular part of our lives. If not COVID-19, it could be something else. If not now, five years from now. And here's what I don't want to do. I don't want you to think that the reason this suffering and this pain is happening is because of something that you did. Sometimes these things happen and there's nothing we can do to prevent it from happening. And so this reminds me of a story of Jacob. You see, Jacob's name actually means deceiver. And he um, is preparing to meet up with his brother Esau. And so he sends his family ahead of him. He sends gifts ahead of him. And his relationship with Esau is strained because he stole his brother's blessing. And what we see here is Jacob is possibly sleeping. And he wakes up and all of a sudden a man is wrestling with Jacob. And they are fighting and wrestling. And no matter um, how hard the man wrestles with Jacob, Jacob continues to fight. You see, he is accustomed to fighting. <clears throat> he is accustomed to making it, making it through all sorts of circumstances. He's going to prevail. And he continues to fight and fight all night long. And eventually, the man um, touches Jacob's hip and dislocates his hip. And here's the exchange that happens in verse 26. Then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. They have been wrestling all night long. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Sometimes God has to wrestle us and allow pain into our life for us to actually see his face. Jacob was so stubborn and so focused that the only way for him to see the face of God was for God to break his hip, to dislocate his hip. <clears throat> and also, sometimes, God um, breaks our hip and we exit out of this suffering, this pain with a limp, with some scars. I do not know how COVID-19 is going to affect you. I do not know how your past hurts and suffering has affected you. My guess is some of you have a limp. Some of you have scars, and it hurts. Here's my prayer for you. Will you pray the dangerous prayer that Jesus prayed? Will you get alone with God? Will you be by yourself at your Mount of Olives and pray this? God, not my will, but yours be done. This has been somewhat of a um, 
sorrowful sermon. And you may be asking, Aaron, what, what hope do we have? Understanding that there is nothing we can do to prevent coronavirus from spreading. There's nothing we can do to um, limit the financial impact that's happening to us outside of social distancing and just making wise decisions. Well, just as Jacob was wrestling with God, you see Jacob said, will you bless me? And here's what God can teach us through these difficult times. God is saying, can my face shine upon you? Will you allow me to withhold you in my arms and you feel the warmth of my heart? Sometimes through pain and suffering, we hear the shouts of God. We hear the whispers of God to us that he loves us and he cares for us and he desires a relationship with us. We get God's blessing. We get the face of God to shine upon us. We have a relationship with the all-powerful God of the universe. And then also God will send his angels down to comfort you. If not actual angels, God will give you wonderful friends and family that will surround you and bless you and comfort you. God will use your story to point others to friendship with God. Your pain and your suffering, however it may come, will press you into the loving arms of God and draw you closer to his heart. I'm going to pray. And sometimes when we pray, one of the ways that we can communicate to God that it is not my will, but yours be done is by kneeling. And I'm going to kneel during my time of prayer. And I'd encourage you possibly to kneel with me as we go before God. God, there are a lot of unknowns during this time. There are a lot of people struggling. Isolation, loneliness, financial burdens, sickness, death, pain, unknown, fear. God, I pray for our nation. I pray for our church. I pray for those that are approaching this cup of suffering that is before them. I pray for those that are um, in the midst of suffering. God, will you use us at Carney E. Free Church to be a shining light in the darkness? Father, will you draw us in to a stronger, closer relationship with you? God, can we hear your voice and see your face shine upon us? as we navigate through this pain. Thank you, Father, for your great love for us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.